Well, good morning. We are in the middle of a sermon series, three weeks long, so this is the only time we're in the middle. We're in the middle of a sermon series called None Greater. None Greater. What we're doing is we're just taking a look at God. That's it. Just going to look at God. We started last week with God's character, today with God's presence, and next week with God in the midst of creation. And how is he expressing his glory? That's where we're at. None greater. Now, for those of you who were with us last week, you remember we started out with an illustration of cats and dogs, right? And the whole concept, I'll just say it once real quickly here for you. Cats are the ones who are kind of all into themselves, right? And dogs are kind of all over their masters. And so the dogs are the ones who are like, hey, you feed me, you pet me, you clothe me. You, you must be God. And the cats are on the other side going, you care for me in all different ways. I must be God, right? So this week I had somebody, uh, actually Phil King, one of our elders, give me this dog diary versus cat diary. All right. Dog diary, 8 a.m. Dog food. Awesome. 9.30. A car ride. My favorite thing. 9.40. A walk in the park. Are you kidding me? 10.30. Got rubbed and petted. Back to my favorite thing. 12 p.m. Milk bones. Favorite thing. 1 p.m. Played in the yard. Uh, favorite thing. 3 p.m. Well, I was just happy I wagged my tail. Favorite thing. 5 p.m. Dinner. Favorite thing. 8 o'clock. Wow. Got to watch TV with my people. Favorite thing. 11 p.m. Sleeping in my favorite bed. Close of day. The day of a dog. The day of a cat. Day 983 of my captivity. <laughs> My captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. They dine lavishly on fresh meat, while the other inmates and I are fed hash or some sort of dry nuggets. Although I make my contempt for the rations perfectly clear, I nevertheless must eat something in order to keep my strength and sustenance. The only thing that keeps me going is my dream of escape. In an attempt to disgust them, I once again vomit on the carpet. Uh, today, I decapitated a mouse and dropped it headless at their feet. I hope this would strike fear into their hearts since it clearly demonstrates my capabilities. No success. However, they merely made condescending comments about what a good little hunter I am. Day 983 of my captivity. Cats versus dogs, right? This difference of, is it all about me or is it really all about you? As we start looking at worship, as we start looking at none greater, we really have to challenge ourselves with, why am I running hard after this God? In the end, am I constantly there just to say, what do I get out of it? What's going to be in this for me, Lord? You know the way I'm praying right now? It's so that you do the following three things so that I can end up happy and content. Or is it just, whatever happens, you're awesome. That's where I want to be, at your feet. This morning, we're going to look at God's presence and how we can be impacted by God's presence, that it can affect us for all eternity. What should I know about his vastness and how should it impact me? Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, tell us that. 
Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. You know, the ushers are coming forward. They've got Bibles in their hands. So just raise your hand if you need one. We're going to be going verse by verse through this. So just raise your hand. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. God's presence. It is an awe-inspiring moment. So what's the first thing we should be doing with God's presence? Number one there, just be in awe. Let it impact you the way it should. Truly aware of who he is, be in awe. We'll just start reading here in Isaiah 6. We'll start with verse 1. Check this out. This is Isaiah the prophet and his experience with God. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Okay, this is one of those moments where we start reading and we're like, blah, 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 black and white words, yeah, yeah. But when I read that, this is one of those where we're supposed to go, whoa. Okay, so let's try it together. You ready? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Okay, now we're getting it. All right. Why is that such a big deal? Well, first of all, he saw the Lord. No duh, right? But more than that, let's just go back real quick. If you want to turn with me, you can. If you want to just listen, that's fine. Second Chronicles 26, verses 16 to 21. Second Chronicles 26. The question is, who is this King Uzziah guy? And what's going on with that? Does that really even matter? Okay, listen to this. Second Chronicles 26, we'll start at verse 16. But when he, King Uzziah, was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with... 80 priests, not one, not five, not 10, not 70, not 75, 78, 79, but 80 other priests went in with Azariah, priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the son of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. This is God's design, right? That's what they're telling him. God's plan. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Now, at this point, notice, nothing's happened to Uzziah. He's being informed of his wrongness, and the priests are getting pretty serious with him and pretty stiff. Uzziah's response, verse 19. Then Uzziah was angry. He had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priests... Leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead. Okay, think about how you might respond in that moment if you're Uzziah, right? You've kicked the door down to the temple. You're storming into the holy presence of the Almighty. You know you have no business being there, but you're thinking, hey, with all the good that's gone on around me, I mean, this is a king who was prosperous for 40 to 50 years around there. He's thinking, I think maybe it is a little bit about me, and I'm going to do something about it. I'll burn the incense. I've got this one covered. Forget God's rules. So he's now standing in the holiness of God, ready to do something he shouldn't, and all of a sudden... People start staring at your forehead in a strange fashion. You know what I mean? It's one of those like, what? Is there something on me? You know what I mean? And then you can just feel a difference. And then he starts noticing something's wrong. So after Azariah and the chief priest looked at him and beheld his leprous forehead, they rushed him out quickly. And he himself hurried to go out. I would too. 
because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah, listen to this now, was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. King Uzziah, one of the most prosperous kings over Judah, he ends up in a moment of pride, demanding to be in the presence of the holiness of God, and he ends up leprous for life and dies removed and separated. Okay. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Okay, you were a little slow on uptake there. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Are you hearing it? This is this moment like, remember the king who stood in the presence of the Lord and turned leprous for life. When he passed away, I stood in the presence of the Lord. It begs the question, are you okay? Right? Like, did you do all right in that moment? That's what's going on. Okay. Next step. He's asked to record a few things that he remembered. Okay. Now, he records three things here. I have to tell you, I'm thinking to myself, what would I record if I saw the Lord? Visually, right there in his presence, what is it I'd write down? I mean, I got to tell you, I'm like a terrible eyewitness on anything. You know, like I'm talking to my daughters and we're, we're talking about somebody and they're like, you know, my youngest daughter, Alyssa, especially remembers colors and shapes. And she's like, you know, the girl that was in the red dress with her hair up and she was wearing, and I'm like, I got no clue what you're talking about. If I don't look down, I don't remember what I'm wearing. You know what I mean? (laughs) So we start describing other people's clothing. I'm sorry. You look great today. I don't remember it after I leave here. I remember your face smiling, that kind of thing. I am not really into the clothing color, that aspect. My daughter's rock solid on all this memory stuff. So we started talking about it this week. She says, do you remember the first day that we met Sarah and Kelly, our uh, best friends? Yeah, sure, hon. (laughs) Right? She goes, I was wearing that pink dress with, and she went through this whole description. I, unbelievable. The mind that she's got for remembering the details, it's, it's awesome. Isaiah was asked by God to lock in on a few things. I don't know if the guy was bad with colors or what. He doesn't give us any of that. He gives us something way bigger, right? This is what God asks him to lock in on. Three things. Sitting upon a throne. The Lord sitting upon a throne. Now, who is this Lord sitting upon a throne? If you want to write it down, John 12, 41 actually gives us the the answer. We could look at it and we'd say, well, this is God. But God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In In what way? This is Jesus Christ. And John 12, 41 tells us that. As he's describing Jesus, he says, you know, like the one that Isaiah was in front of. Like the one that Isaiah saw. This is him. Come to earth in the flesh for you and for me. So Isaiah is getting that pre-incarnate, you know, before Christ came in the flesh, pre-incarnate moment of seeing Jesus. That's the Lord sitting upon a throne. Why does that matter? Because he's ruling. He's in charge. It's not, there was a throne in the room and he happened to be around it. He was on the throne. He belonged there. He, the king of kings. He, the one in charge of all. I saw him while ruling on his throne. That throne 
was high and lifted up. The second piece of info, high and lifted up, meaning it was above everybody else in the room. But more than that, it's above every throne anywhere. This throne is exalted above all thrones. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All Lords report to him. All Kings report to him. He's bigger. He's more powerful. He knows more. He's overall exalted and lifted up. And then it says, and the train of his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe filled the temple. You couldn't even fit in the room because the temple was filled with what he was clothed with that simply said, this one is beautiful. This one is regal. This one is to be revered. He is the almighty. I mean, can you imagine the billowing train that wrapped around and all over and it filled every chair and every moment and every space around there. And as he looked in, all he saw was awesome. It just says power right there in charge. He was in awe. You know, I was thinking about it this week, like a, a train of your robe. And what was that like? Just imagine you're at a wedding. Right. And, and the music starts and the bride's at the back and she's starting to walk up. And the first thing everybody does is stand up. Right. A little bit of respect here. And you stand up and you look at the bride, please. Right. It's not like you stand up and you go, Jeez, man. you know, or you look back and you go, hey, that dude's got a nice jacket on. Did you see that jacket? Like, right. Everything goes to the bride. Everybody's looking at the bride as she's walking up dressed in this unbelievable dress. And the train usually is like immaculate on it and all this fine work. And if you watch Say Yes to the Dress, you've seen the little sweetheart neckline choice with the, yeah. We watch it at our house. All right. Back to the text, the text here. The, the, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him, now here we go, it's not just the I'm in awe, it's who else is in awe. Above him stood the seraphim. This word here literally means the burning ones, the fiery ones. These angels were dazzling in their brightness. That's why they had this name. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. Why? Because no matter how bright they were, The authority and the brightness, the amazingness, the glory of the one on the throne was that much more. And they covered their faces in respect and quite honestly, probably in protection as they stood before the almighty. They covered his face and with two, he covered his feet. This is kind of a Jewish tradition. It's a respect thing. Your feet are usually dirty and whatever after you've done all your walk in the dust. And so quite often the statement would be that you'd want to have your feet covered before some dignitary. Okay, that's what they're doing. They're doing this thing of honor and respect. And with two, he flew very pragmatic. I still am moving around. I'm still serving the Lord. And one called to another and said, it's like corporate worship. They're standing together there in the midst of the Holy One, and their responsibility is simply this. Lift it up. You're here to make sure He is honored and glorified and worshipped. Lift Him up. They had one thing to say, this little phrase here. We're going to go through it. What's it say? 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. Let's break it down, okay? The three holies in a row. In the Hebrew, when they put three things together, they're saying perfect example of. No clearer picture of this than God himself, the greatest example of holiness. He is holy. What is holy? It's set apart. It's other. It's transcendent. It's perfect. It's pure. He's all of those. And not only is he those, he's the best example of those you'll ever find anywhere. Holy, holy, holy. So when we sing a song that has the words holy in it three times over, note in the Hebrew, they're saying no better example than that. That's our God. Holy, 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 pure, 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 perfect, perfect, perfect. Greatest example of is the Lord of hosts. So first we have his nature, the holiness. Now we've got his name, Lord of hosts. If you notice, this Lord is capital L, capital O. Capital R, capital D, which means in the Hebrew, they used his personal name, Yahweh, right? It's the I am. This is his personal name. If you look back in verse one, notice it says in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. And this is little O-R-D. There it's the word Adonai. It means the ruler, the one in charge. Okay. But here he uses his personal name, Yahweh, the one I am, the one who exists from eternity past to eternity future. This is who The one is that I'm looking at Yahweh. What is his dominion? His reign. It's over all hosts and his whole earth. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth full of his glory. Just a quick question. How often do you think of this earth and think this place is just full of his glory? And then how often do you think this place is falling apart? Right? We have to be careful Because there is a lot going wrong in the world. But let me tell you, this place would be unbelievably unbearable without the presence and the glory of our almighty God. He is in every aspect. He is in every moment. He is in every nook and cranny. His glory being revealed to you and me throughout the whole of this place. And we're going to study that next week. Okay? What does it mean that his creation is a great example of his glory. We're going to be going through that next week. But know this, his glory fills the earth. We have a chance to get a taste of who he is, to see of how great he is, to be amazed by how awesome he is. This God is not a God sitting off somewhere distant in a throne room that only you can see if you're invited in special or if you got there by accident. This God is Everywhere, And he is right here with you and with me. He's right here with us. And we can be blown away. We can be in awe of his glory. The almighty God. Now here's the deal. We can read a phrase like this and go, oh, that's nice. They had some chant to say. Or we can live it. So why don't we live it? Okay. We got enough people in this room to enjoy it for a moment. So this half... Starting from the middle of the room here down the aisle this way, you're going to be group one, okay? And you guys are all going to be group two. And our job is to chant this. Notice it says, and they called to one another. So you're going to lead. We're going to read through this. Just the holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory as loud as we can. And then your job is to echo 
and then we're going to do it one more time. Okay? Let's experience this just for a moment. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, there we go. A little bit of excitement here. You ready? Here we go. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and back. Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. And can you imagine now, who knows how big these beings were or how many? It doesn't even say. All we know is it's in the plural. And and it's an amazing moment of the vastness and the authority as they're chanting forth your nature and your name and your dominion. Your nature and your name and your dominion. You rule and you are awesome. That's the moment that Isaiah stepped into the throne room. Can you imagine that moment for him? It says, And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the the foundations of the threshold shook. Another way to say it is, And the pillars of of the doorway, if you want to say it that way. The whole front entrance and everything that was holding it up were rumbling. For those of you who have a nice sound system, you've ever turned up the subwoofer and you really crank that thing up, you know, you're putting some awesome music or whatever you like, whatever movie you like, and you're cranking it up and the rumble starts going and your whole house starts shaking. You know what I mean? Somebody comes running downstairs like, is everything okay? And you're like, just hang on. This is awesome. You know, and the table, have you not done that? Okay. I've done that. So you get this thing shaking, right? And in this moment where everything is shaking, it's strictly the voice of the almighty. Note this. He's not using his inside voice. Okay. Our God can speak in a whisper. And he often chooses to speak to us in a whisper. But in these moments, the very authority and rule of the Almighty is being demonstrated. And as his voice thundered forth, everything shook where it stood as he spoke. Isaiah had his attention captured. It says at the end, and the house was filled with smoke. You know, smoke is often a sign of judgment to come. There was a a message that was going to be sent to the nations and specifically to Israel, and it wasn't a pretty one. And God was preparing for that moment. Isaiah, in the very presence of the Almighty, not just experiencing God maybe around him, but experiencing God. You know, maybe think of it this way. A little bit of a lame example, but... Have you ever seen the movie Jurassic Park? Okay. So this is a movie about dinosaurs that somehow are brought to life in modern day through some eggs that are... I don't... Whatever. I won't go into the movie story. But there, there's some dinosaurs that are living today on an island, okay? And it's this idea of going and seeing these live dinosaurs. And this guy, Alan Grant, who just loves paleontology and archaeology and dinosaurs and details and and he knows all the artifacts and all this little pieces and he's put the stuff together and and he sees what they should look like and he knows every little detail of herbivores and carnivores and all that stuff there's a moment when the first live dinosaur runs past him and he just stops 
and stares in awe. It's like, it's all real. The question is, is your faith more of a, an artifacts and an archaeology dig and a little bit of believism and move on in my day? Or has the living God of the universe encountered you and you encountered him? Have you had that gripping encounter that will stop you in your tracks and drop your jaw because you've seen the very hand of God move and now you've seen the God that's actually moving the hand. You know what I'm saying? It's that living experience moment. I'm telling you, it's available to you and to me. And all too often, we cheap out. We say, you know what? It's good enough that I just know truth about you. It's good enough that I just understand what you're trying to accomplish. And so we go through these I know moments, and then we go on. And then we wonder why our staying power is close to zero. Your staying power exorbitantly increases the moment that you've actually tasted and seen that the Lord is good. It's a chance for us literally right here on this earth in this moment to say, you are right here with me, Lord. May I so be aware of that. Just wake me up to who you are. Let me let everything down. No selfishness in the way. It's all about being in awe of you. I'm telling you, your world's going to be rocked. It's available to you. It's not some magic moment. It's not some little secret mantra you have to say. It's get rid of the self and start letting God move and speak to you. Be in awe of the living, glorious, almighty, holy God who is right here with you. You're in his presence. Right now, we're in his presence. Let's be impacted and walk away saying, God, may I just keep capturing more of you each moment. The Christian walk, it's not a bunch of no's and do's. It's an awareness and a relationship with the Almighty and it being rocking in your world. That's what we're going after. First step in letting his presence impact, be in awe. Second, be convicted and cleansed. Be convicted and cleansed. We'll just start in verse 5 there. Isaiah says, and I said, woe is me. Right? I mean, can you imagine? You know this whole thing about King Isaiah. Like he walked in, leper for the rest of his life, gone. Right? So now I'm standing in the presence of God. You're like, something bad's coming. Don't know what. Don't deserve to be here. Uh-oh. Right? But woe is me is more than just some phrase he picked up. It's like, what do I say now? Like maybe I'll say what? Take a look back in chapter 5. He's talking now to the people in Israel and Judah. He's challenging those who are Jews. He starts in verse uh, 8. Look at what he says. Woe to those who join house to house and add field to field, like just amassing wealth. Go down to verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late in the evening as wine inflames them. Or you go, uh, let's see, probably the next one, go to verse 18. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood. Who draw sin as with cart ropes. Verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, shrewd in their own insight. 22, woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine, valiant men and mixing strong drink. You hearing it? 
It's like, hey, those who are impure in their actions and their thoughts, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Uh Uh-oh, I'm in front of God. Now I realize who I am. Woe to me. That's what's going on, okay? Woe is me, for I am lost. Maybe another way to say this that I really like is I am undone. This, This moment of I'm completely unraveled in who I was. I wrote down a couple thoughts of what undone could mean. All of my hopes were found woven in worthlessness. All of my passions centered in selfishness. All of my thoughts were found comparatively insignificant to anything you would think. All of me literally collapsed before all of you. I am nothing. You are everything. Woe is me. I'm undone. Isaiah came to a very strong awareness of his lack of holiness as he stood in front of the one who was the perfect example of holiness. And in that moment, he was altered for a lifetime. It says right after it, I was lost. It says, for I am a man of unclean lips, right? Like he's got the stuff on his lips, not good, right? The words coming off, the things that I'm talking about, the stuff that I'm complaining about. Like I am a man that is not talking well. And just to be clear, out of the abundance of the what does the mouth speak? Out of the abundance of the heart. So when he says, my lips are unclean, he's saying everything from the exterior all the way in. It's a mess. I am unclean. My heart, unclean. What spills out? Unclean. I'm in need, Lord. I am in need. By the way, I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips, such as me. I thought that was a little classic. It's that moment of, come join me in the pain, people, right? Like, I'm not going to take this heat alone. I, I, I haven't been around anybody as holy as you. Our whole nation is unclean. We all stand in need. For my eyes have seen the king. The Lord of hosts. And we all know what happens when an unclean person sees the Lord of hosts. That's what he's saying. This is a moment that I have to remember. If I survive. If I survive. This is what I love. True, pure conviction. Humbly dropping to his knees and saying, Lord, all of me needs to change. May I just come before you and tell you that. I'm done. I am undone. And God's answer, verse 6, then leave my presence. Is that what he says? Look what he says. Then he sends one of the seraphim. The seraphim flew to me. So God goes over to Isaiah through the seraphim, having in his hand a burning coal. Now remember, seraphim means fiery one, burning one. So here's the play on words, right? The burning one brings the burning coal. Okay, the seraphim comes over and delivers up the burning coal to Isaiah. Where did that burning coal come from? It says it was taken with tongs from the altar, taken with tongs from the altar. God's provision for what will be the cleansing of Isaiah. This burning coal brought by God himself, delivered up by a messenger, a seraphim and brought to Isaiah for a cleansing moment. It's a perfect example of Jesus Christ at work in our lives. It says, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away 
your sin is atoned for. Guilt taken away, sin atoned for. Isaiah is getting a moment of being able to experience what Jesus Christ was going to provide for all mankind. An available opportunity for you and for me to simply drop to our knees and admit that we don't have it all going on. That we have come up short of God's plan. That we have missed the mark. We aren't perfect, as Scripture says, right? There is none righteous, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in that moment, as we fall convicted before Him, we simply ask for Him to come alongside of us. Say, Lord, please forgive me. Use your shed blood to replace what I owe. Jesus shed blood applied to your life. It's like this coal being touched to his lips. What does it provide? It says here, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for, made good on, reconciling you back. You brought in relationship with him. Here's my question to you. First of all, have you, have you experienced that moment? Can you say, I know the time where I stopped and I was done. I said, Lord, it's all about you, not about me. I'm giving you my heart. I'm giving you my all. You deserve it. I just want to hand me over to you. You're holy and I'm not. If you haven't done that, if you don't have that moment where you locked it in, make this your moment. It's right here and right now. Time to respond to the Almighty. It's this simple. It's just saying, we say it here, it's not easy, but it's as simple as ABC. A, accept that I'm a sinner, just like Isaiah did. Confess where you come up short. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, but it's more than just a knowing or a believing. It's more than that. It affects your whole life actions. C, confess him as your Lord. I want you to forgive me for what I've done. Please use your shed blood to replace what I owe. Have you done that? If you haven't, make today the moment. If you're confused right now and you're like, I'm not even sure, come talk to me afterwards. It's now. Lock it in. I got to tell you, I'm looking at this and Isaiah's plan had nothing to do with, I'm going to try to be a pretty good guy going out of here. I, I come into view of who you are and I'm thinking if I just work a little harder, like that's not the plan. The plan is stop, drop and roll. Right? I mean, you look at him, he's like, I'm done. It's over. I do nothing. It's stop and down. That's it. Just lay yourself before the Almighty God. Let him change you for a lifetime. His shed blood, replacing what you owe. What a plan. God's provision for us. Isaiah got a little glimpse of it. Why do you think that might be shown off there? Remember who this king is. This is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The one who will come to die for all. He's saying, you wouldn't believe what I'm going to be about. You think this king is worth seeing on the throne? Wait till you see what's coming. He's giving him a taste of what's offered now for you and for me. Be convicted and be cleansed. There's no way we stand before our holy God in awe and not do that. It's time to respond. Drop. Give it up. Lord, lead me back. If I've already accepted him, if you've already accepted him as your savior, just say, 
I'm coming back. Cleanse me, Lord, again. I'm running at you. I just want to know you with all I've got. Be convicted. Be cleansed. Have a relationship with him that will last for all eternity. Simple question. How did Isaiah enter the throne room of God? Clean or unclean? Unclean. How did Isaiah leave? Clean. That's available to you. Grab it with all you've got. First, be in awe. Second, be convicted and cleansed. And last, be willing. Be willing. This is an awesome moment. Uh, Verse 8, God says, and I, or Isaiah says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying. Now remember, this is the same voice that when it spoke, it absolutely rumbled the place, right? The, The pillars shook. The threshold was like shaking. That same voice now calls out. What does he call out? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Two things to note here. First of all, notice he says us. What's the plural thing? He's speaking to the Trinity here. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay? He didn't mess up on his pronoun. All right? This isn't a grammar problem. He meant to go to the plural, us. It's who shall I send? Jesus has a responsibility. And who will go for us? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit watching over all. He's calling out for a response. Now, here's a question. When he says, who shall I send? Is he like, who shall I send? Like, I'm confused. I have no answer to this. What am I going to do? Who will go for us? I'm, I'm perplexed. Is that, what, is that what Jesus is saying? No way. What he's saying is, I'm calling upon your will right now. I want you to think this through. An answer needs to be had. And I want it in your heart. Who shall I send? Who will go for us? Right? Thundering. And in that moment, Isaiah responds. He says, I said, here am I. Send me. What I love is, in the Hebrew, this is two words. Like, that's all he could get out. It, it, it was like, Hineni, Shalachni. Like, that's it. That's all I got. It's not worth a lot of words on my time. You're in charge. Hineni, here I am. Shalachni, send me. And it wasn't like this. Like, who are we going to send? And he goes, I don't know if you want, I guess I'll, I'll go, I guess. If you want somebody. I don't know. Should I step in a little? I don't you know. I'll go. Like, that's not it. In that moment, it's who shall we send? He goes, right here. Here I am. Send me. I'm going. With what I've just seen, with what I've been privileged to, with you just cleansing me. Are you kidding me? You have my all. Where do you want me to go, Lord? Anything, you name it. I'm here. Be willing. That's Isaiah's response. I'm willing. I'm ready. Why are we not willing? Why are we not ready? You know, all too often it's just because we're looking down, holding on to self, got our plans, right? I'm going to do the following nine things this year and I want to accomplish this and my bank account that and my job title this and my family this and all these my things that we're holding on to. And it's not wrong to be good stewards of what God's given us. And yet we get so into the stewardship of the thing that the thing becomes the thing, not God becomes the thing. And we're done serving him. 
it becomes about me. Be willing. It means head up, clearly experiencing a gripping encounter with the Almighty and never looking back. You've got my soul. Here I go. Are you ready to be gripped in an encounter with the Almighty and let go of self? Let go of self and go after it. You know, I can remember the first time that I uh, really let go. And it wasn't long ago. I mean, I was in engineering. We had decided that we would go towards seminary. I was taking a few classes. I'd even taken a really good class on what the practice of ministry needs to be and how it's not all about you and it needs to be about him. And Second Corinthians chapters 4 through 6 is an awesome passage for that on you know, just learning the struggles you're going to go through and like, right, right. It's not about me. And I I just began to scratch the surface on trying to understand that. And I went in to talk to my senior pastor at the time and just said, Hey, I'm looking for a little bit of advice. I know you transitioned from the business world into ministry. I'd love to get a little advice from you. What do you think? And we talked for about eight minutes and he said, you know, here's the thing. I think it usually works best when you just jump on in. So I'm going to offer you a job working eight hours a week for us and be the pastor of single adult ministries. Do you want it? We'll work together. You'll learn as you go. (laughs) No, I don't want it. I was talking in the future. Like, what? Are you kidding me? Are you serious? And he goes, yeah, I really am, Tim. This will work best. Okay, I just came for some advice. Not a job, you know? So I'm going home and I'm thinking, so I'm going to be an engineer and a pastor and a father and a student. And how's this going to work out, right? So the practical side, that's ludicrous. Too many hours, not going to do it. We wrestled on it for about three weeks, which really got my senior pastor a little hacked. But we wrestled on it for about three weeks as we thought through, how are we going to do this? Is this real? What's really going on? And I'm telling you, this is what it really was. I was saying I wanted to go serve and I wasn't sure when and how, but I wanted to make sure I dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's and knew exactly where I was headed and knew exactly that I was okay and knew I have it under. So we stepped out and we took that job and it was an unbelievable nine-month ride. How do I know that's when I let go? Because a year later, when they offered to go to full-time ministry, and I had to dump a job and a 70% pay cut and uh, all that stuff, we did this decision in like, what, two minutes. I called John, I'm like, they offered a job. We taking it? Yeah, we just got to make sure the money's good. The money's this? We're in. Let's go. Like, that's it. That's all it was. We were done. We weren't holding on. That year was a year of let go. Have you let go? Have you let go of your stuff? I'm telling you, it's easy to get all wrapped up in it. It all sounded good, man. I had the stuff. I was trying to take care of college funds. I was trying to take care of retirement, taking care of the job thing. All these people relying on me at work, blah, blah, blah. Right? It was all about, I'm going to handle it. Are you letting God work in your life? Where is he calling you to? It might be to stay right where you are, do exactly what you're doing, and just crank it up a notch. Maybe it's joining into something around here, joining into the service ministries around here, helping out in the children's ministry. We've got VBS coming up this summer, helping out there, joining in with the Iwana program or Fuse or Fuel, our, our, our junior high arena, our high school arena. Maybe it's in the adult arena. What's God calling you to do even just here? Are you willing? Are you ready to say, Lord, whatever, I want you shown off. I want to be a part of that. You shown off. It's time to say, it's not about me. I'm laying my stuff down. I want a clear vision of the one who is worthy 
of all my attention and time. Send me, Lord. Here I am. It's an awesome challenge. You know, we've got somebody who is making that very transition as we speak. Uh, many of you know that uh, Aaron Carnahan, our, our uh, youth pastor here, has uh, resigned as of June 30th. So next week is his last uh, last Sunday. And uh, he is going out to help plant Harvest Denver with the Schwarzentrop family. And um, we've been looking for a youth pastor. Here's the awesome thing. God's way ahead of the game. He already knows what he's doing and he's got stuff scheduled out for us. So there was a guy who is from this area who grew up here. He's been a teacher for four years. Uh, he's got his master's of divinity. He's been in ministry now for four or five years. He's down in Louisville at another church and he's ready to transition up. We've accepted him. He's accepted. So he will be starting July 1st, Shane Drury and his wife, Brittany. So God has provided. So that, let's first of all, just, just thank God for that. We are thrilled with who Shane is and who his wife is. And we are thrilled with all that Aaron and Jill have been to this body. And as they go out, we want to be sending them out with excitement for what God's got next. And you know what? When it's God's ministry, God's really in there providing. Have you noticed that? Like it's not something to fret when you're really doing what God's calling you to. And this has been a low sweat, low pain thing. I mean, we've had great resumes and applications come in and just a a lot of opportunity to look through things. Shane just has an awesome background experience and passion for the Lord. A couple things for you to pray for for them as they're transitioning, okay? Tuesday, his wife Brittany is going to be having twins. Okay? So are they saying, here I am, Lord, send me, right? In a moment where they're going through big transition. So it's either a C-section or an induced. Either way, it's coming Tuesday. The doctors have decided. So be praying for them on that, okay? Shane and Brittany are their names and they're twins. I think it's a boy and a girl known, right? So what's that? And they're two? Oh, and they have a two-year-old son. I'm like, what? (laughs) That's a weird gestation period, babe. Okay. So... Nice. Get back on track here. So Shane and his wife, Brittany, be praying for that. And then be praying for the sale of their house. Okay. They have a house down there and they're going to be selling that. So those are two things to be praying for them. They are clearly saying, here I am, send me. It's a moment. And we are excited about what God's doing. Here's my question to you. Are you ready to experience the same? The thrill, the privilege, the unbelievable, I have no control anymore feeling as you've thrown yourself into God's hands and said, whatever you want, Lord, you are so worth it. I'm telling you, this place comes uncorked when we live that way. This place is so contagious because you are so on fire with your love for the Holy One. May we simply say you are so worth knowing that everything in me reflects that. I want you, Lord to convict me, to cleanse me, and take me wherever you want me to be. I'm ready to serve. Here we go. Here I am. Send me. That's what happens when you come into the presence of the one who is none greater. Let's pray.